calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 41 The Green Dragon I looked up and saw Dragon Red flying away, and I remembered. I remembered what the last months had all been about. I started shouting, No! Red! Red! Come back! I looked to Brendan. Where is he going? I didn't wait for an answer. I was getting frantic. Red! Then I spun on a raft. You are riding a green dragon. Where's the green dragon? Where? Araf grabbed me by the shoulders. He was uncharacteristically smiling. I looked to Brendan and Tawn. Despite the recent tragedies, they were smiling too. I need dragon's blood. Calm down, Connor, Araf said. The green dragon is here. I spun around, searching the courtyard for any sign of the dragon. They were all still smiling like idiots. I was just about to slap them when Tawn placed his hands together in a two-handed fist, then crouched down like a man about to drop to his knees in prayer. When he began to straighten up, he just didn't stop at his own height. His clothes tore away as palm-sized green scales loudly clinked into place on his chest and his back. He continued to grow as his face extended and spines grew out of his receding hair. As he reached full size, he blocked the sun and extended his wings, sending a cloud of dust and leaves swirling around the courtyard, forcing us to shield our eyes. No, I said incredulously. Oh, yes, Brendan said, patting me on the back. I stepped up to Dragon Tawn and he lowered his head. I looked into his eyes thinking that I would recognize my old traveling companion, but his eyes were green and yellow with slits for pupils. Is that you in there, Counselor Tawn? He threw his head violently back and blew a massive plume of fire into the air. Brendan grabbed me by the arm and pulled me back. Don't make him laugh. He's having trouble controlling the fire-breathing stuff. Tawn folded back his wings and lowered his body to the ground. 
Brendan took a running start and hopped on his back like a cowboy in a movie. Then he held out his hand and said, You coming? Where? To Castle Door. Ton wants to donate some blood. I took a running start. I was so excited that I almost sailed straight over the back of Ton. Then Neve ran into the courtyard and shouted, Brendan, you're alive. I am indeed gorgeous, the cop replied from Dragonback. I'm off to Castle Door to save your brother. Come with us. Honest to the gods, she hopped up and down like a schoolgirl at a boy band concert and ran two steps towards us before she stopped and dropped her head. I cannot. I must tend the wounded. Brendan turned to me and said, Can you give us a minute? I nodded and he slid off Ton's back and gave my aunt a right proper back-dipping snug. Dahi approached me, holding the knife. He looked shell-shocked. Where did you get this? He asked quietly. It was almost as if he was afraid to hear the answer. It was thrown out of the window from the house of the Oracle on Mount Cass. Araf was there. He can tell you all about it. He nodded thoughtfully and backed off as Brendan dramatically remounted. Ton extended his school bus size wings and began to flap. The muscles on his back tightened and rocked me up and down as I searched for something to hold on to. I grabbed Brendan around the waist. He didn't seem to mind. Officer Fallon turned to me wearing a huge ear-to-ear grin. Have you ever been on that roller coaster at that amusement park in Elysburg, Pennsylvania? Yeah, I screamed as the wind roared around us. It was very scary. Well, hold on, O'Neill, because this is a whole lot worse. As I held on for dear life, Brendan filled me in on what had happened. That damn paralyzing pin that the late Turlo stuck in a raft taunt in me was apparently placed high enough on our necks so that we couldn't speak, but our eyes and ears still worked. Ton managed to do that puka transforming thing with his unparalyzed part of his head. The top of his head kept changing into like a dozen different animals. Every time he grew feathers or fur or even scales, he managed to push out the pin just a little bit farther until it popped out completely. He saved us. Ton, who had been listening, shook his head up and down. Nice one, counselor, I shouted. We were just outside the back door of the digs, continued Brendan, when the fireball hit. We dove into the swampy bit behind the house to protect ourselves from the heat, and by the time we popped out again, you were already being carried off into the wild blue yonder. Ton used Hawkeyes and said he saw you fall into the ocean. How'd you survive that one? Mermaids! I shouted over the sound of the swirling wind and laughed out loud at the ridiculousness of it. Brendan laughed with me. A couple of months ago, I'd lock you up in a loony bin for saying stuff like that. And now? Now? The cop thought for a second. Now my response is, yeah, that sounds about right. So what happened when Red came back? Well, he was surprised to see us alive because Turlo had told him we were dead. He also had a problem. What was that? You stuck your sword in him in a spot that he couldn't reach, and he was afraid to change back to red with it sticking out of him. Oh, that reminds me, I've got your sword. He patted the sword hanging on his belt. 
I peeped down and instantly recognized the lawnmower's pommel. I hope it hurt him like hell, I said. I think it did. Taun agreed to pull it out of him if he agreed to listen to us before he tried to kill us again. It didn't take us long to convince him that the Turlo had duped us all. He was livid and zoomed off to try and find him, but he came back a week later having had no success. While he was gone, we found his house, or I guess I should call it his lair, and waited for him there. Ton discovered all these manuscripts in puka lingo and sat in the corner and read them the whole time. He hardly talked to us. When Red returned, Ton and Red got talking shop. I tried to get Red to give me some blood and a lift off the island, but they were so into talking about changeling stuff that they acted like Araf and I weren't even there. When I got mad at them for ignoring us, Red switched to Dragon, grabbed Ton, and flew away. The two of them disappeared for another week. When Red came back, there was a green dragon with him. Apparently, in order to become a dragon, you have to study how to change into every animal there is, and Ton had done that already. Oh, and that problem he had about not being able to hold form? Well, that's gone. Brendan patted the dragon's neck and looked over the side. I hope. I shivered in the cold air as the sun began to set in an explosion of reds and golds. You know, I dreamt about this, but I never... I chuckled to myself. I never dreamt it would happen. I only hope we're in time. The guards on the ramparts of Castle Door shot arrows at us as we approached, so we had to fly away and land in the field in front of the castle. By the time the whole battalion of soldiers came at us on horseback, Tawn was Tawn again. The captain recognized me, and recognized Brendan as that madman from the real world, and once we convinced him that there was no dragon attack, he gave us horses and we galloped to the main gates. The three of us burst into Dad's candle-lit room. Mom and Fawn and a handful of sorceresses were there. Dad, still encased in amber, looked like he was dead. Mom flew into my arms and hugged her head to my chest. Is he gone? I asked. Am I too late? She held my face in her hands. Her eyes were swimming in tears. It's not long now. I'm glad you're here. He's not dead? I said excitingly. I looked to Fawn. He's not dead? No, the feely answered. I grabbed my mother by the shoulders. Mom, it's not eel's blood. It's not red eel's blood. She looked at me confused. It had been so long since Mom and I had discovered that old manuscript that she had almost forgotten about it. She had given up hope. Taw time! We thought it meant red eel. It doesn't. It means fireworm. Fireworm, I said again louder, trying to make it sink in. Dragon! I turned to Tawn and motioned for him to change. Here? He said, looking around. Will I fit? We'll find out. You'd better stick your nose out of the window. He did as he was told and clasped his hands together and crouched down facing the window. Okay, maybe it wasn't a good idea to have him change in Dad's room, especially without warning anybody. Dragon Tawn was a lot bigger than I realized. He 
pushed his back up against the ceiling as plaster cracked and rolled down his sides. Sorceresses were pushed into corners and furniture splintered against the walls. Dad's bed was pushed at a 45-degree angle but remained unharmed. Deirdre and Fawn, backs pressed against the wall, stared open-mouthed. I had to shake Mom to get her attention. Dragon's blood, Mom. The mermaids use it to become young again. It will reset Dad. It should save his life. Finally, Mom said, How do we do it? Red told me that just a couple drops in the mouth should do the trick, Brendan said. Mom found a crystal glass as I drew the sword of door and cut a nick into Ton's wing. We were lucky his head was out the window because the pain caused him to cough a small fireball that, if it was in there, would have been enough to fricassee us all. Fawn placed her hands on the sides of Dad's head and encanted. The hard amber shell softened and dripped away like honey from his face and head. She reached into his mouth and removed the gold disc. Brendan quickly held out his hand and the feely gave it to him. Dad looked bad and he didn't look like he was breathing. Fawn placed her ear to his mouth and nose. When she came up, she held her thumb and index finger just a quarter of an inch apart, indicating that he was still breathing, if only a bit. Mom took her U-wand, dipped it into the dragon's blood, and then dripped three drops into Oisin's mouth. The effects took hold almost immediately. At first it was just the color of his lips, but then the wrinkles on his face vanished like someone under the bed was pulling the skin from behind. As Ton changed back, giving everyone in the chamber some elbow room, Fawn moved quickly and encanted over the rest of Dad's shell, and it dripped away. We watched as life and vigor radiated down his neck and then all over his body. By the time the shell exposed his right arm, there was no difference between his wrist and his rune hand. Mom picked up his hand, looked at it from both sides, and then gasped as Dad's fingers entwined with her own. Dad opened his eyes and then amazingly propped himself up on his elbows. He looked like he could have been my fraternal twin. Was I dreaming? He said, his voice betraying no hint of illness. Or was there just a dragon in my room? You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.